Thank you for listening to this podcast. The Ville Church provides all its resources for free. If you have been blessed by this ministry, please consider giving financially. For more information on how to give and other resources, please visit www.theville.church. Good morning, everyone. This is Pastor Rodney with The Ville Church, Associate Pastor alongside Pastor Jay Harris, Elder Tony. Uh, just so thankful that I get to say those names and be in partnership um, and be called in my brother and just being close together with all of you that are in the church, that are our church family. Um, Paul the Apostle is here in the book of Colossians and that's where we're at. We're coming towards the end. It's the final greeting. And we're gonna be going from seven through 11. And then later on the next week will be all the way to 18. And this is final greeting. He's writing things down here. And I wanna start off before we get into the scripture by asking when it comes to a church that you were to pick, what would a typical American church be like? What would we look for in it? Uh, I would say a typical American Christian would look for a church that uh, has a great children's ministry. Um, maybe one where the sermon is preached really well, where you can understand it, it relates to you, it helps you uh, with deep theology, maybe someone that makes you laugh um, during the sermon, something that maybe encourages or comforts you. Um, we would look for that. We'd also look for, you know, maybe the, the sound and, and what's the worship and the music like. And then we definitely look at what is the facility like, right? And does it look like things are going well at this church? Um, sometimes we go by the popularity of the name of the church and it has a good name in the neighborhood or, or because uh, it's a growing, fast growing church. Now, when it comes to planting a new church, what is it that we would do what how, what kind of church would we plant i think it falls along the same lines in the typical american church that we'd want to see those things that a pastor could preach well that he has a team around him uh that can uh, work in ministry and, and have you know some type of uh, ministry to children and worship and um you know be able to maybe uh, gather together in a place that is decent um and but i want to ask you this other question what if Jesus were to plant a church? What if Jesus were to plant a church? I believe that what we see in the ministry and the life of Jesus, that he was a friend of sinners, that he would spend time with people that were not like him. They were a different uh, background. He came from a Jewish background, but yet he spent time with the Gentiles. He uh, stopped at the well to meet a Samaritan woman um, and Jewish men, first of all, didn't speak to Samaritan women and Samaritans were like an outcast and then he uh, uses her to go and speak the gospel to the rest of her town and she becomes an evangelist basically um, he goes to where people are sick people are lost and broken um, people are hurting he goes to the immoral he he's get la gets labeled as a friend of sinners and what does he do he extends grace and kindness irresistible kindness and people would come to him and believe in him and be healed by him and be delivered by him and I believe that that would be the type of church that Jesus would look for that would be the type of church that Jesus would be planting why do I say all that I say all that because Paul is writing this letter to a very young church in the church in the town of uh, Colossae in the area of Colossae and 
He's writing to help them and guide them and show them what would a church be like. And towards the end here, he puts an emphasis and he points out and takes time to describe the men that are with him now and the men that he's sending. So we're going to take the first one, Tychicus, in verse 7. It says, he will tell you all about my activities. And he is a beloved brother, a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. So here is the view that Paul has towards the believer, towards his brother. He calls him beloved. That term is used when Jesus comes out of the water after he's baptized. And the Holy Spirit descends down and the Father says, this is my beloved son. He says that again on the transfiguration on the mount where he transfigures into light. And again, the Father says, this is my son, my beloved son. This beloved word means dearly loved, dearly loved by God. Not just an earthly family love or a friendship love, but a dearly loved by God himself. In other words, he refers to Tychicus and his other brothers here, Onesimus, as dearly loved by God, children of God. That means that's his brother in Christ. He looks at them as family. And I want to ask ourselves, do we look at our brothers and sisters as family in today's times? Or do we just see them as a person that has religion or goes to church with us or is a Christian, but yet, you know, they're not really dear or maybe they're not our friends. I'm not sure typical church, what it's like, um, but it's a good question to ask ourselves. Paul is describing that about Tychicus. Then he says he's also a faithful minister. Minister means servant. Minister means someone that God is using to minister the word or encouragement or comfort or to carry out any tasks or things that need to be done um, when it comes to sharing God's love. And so he says he's a faithful. Faithful means that this man has showed to be constant and consistent and that he holds close and, and upholds the truths of God's word that says who God is and what God is all about. And he doesn't waver from that. And again, this is a work of the Holy Spirit. Faithfulness comes from God's spirit in Tychicus, in Onesimus, in Mark, in Barnabas, in um, Aristarchus. Aristarchus. Um, all of those qualities are also not just for them, but Paul is also, when he's describing them, he's also describing himself. He takes the time to do this because he wants the church to begin to look at what should the church to look like? What, where do we see the Spirit of God working and moving in people's lives? It has a huge impact, and we're going to talk a little bit more about that in a minute here. So he calls them beloved and faithful. Um, one of the things to point out about Onesimus is that he was once a slave, and then Paul returns him as no longer a slave, but actually a brother free of slavery. Also, Onesimus is one that had transgressed or committed a crime against Philemon and obviously after coming to Christ and it's it's thought that it was actually Paul was the one of the ones that ministered Christ to him and was one of his disciples um, that he his life turned around and God forgave him and he repented of that crime against uh, Philemon so we also find uh, Aristarchus my fellow prisoner greets you and Mark why does Paul go to the extent of, of saying Mark is also here with me? Because Mark was the cousin of Barnabas and Barnabas and Paul at one time had a beef, right? They, uh, 
they disagreed and they came to a place where they actually departed for each other for a moment. And it is showing that there's reconciliation there, that they worked out, that there's now peace with Barnabas and Mark and Paul. That's very important because I think sometimes we think when you come to Christ and you become a brother in Christ, that the people that believe in that know Christ are never going to disagree or hurt each other or cause an offense. No, that's a guarantee. It's gonna happen. But what Paul is sharing is nothing should separate us, nothing should divide us, nothing should keep us from being united and one in Christ. And he's showing that if I can forgive, if we could work it out, see us, right? And see how we are. So it's important because how do we know that Paul uh, is going to actually share, this is going to be shared about Paul because in verse seven, it says, Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. So Tychicus was not just going to deliver the letter to the church, but he is also going to tell you all about Paul and even goes to this point in verse eight, it says, I have sent him to you for this very purpose. What is the purpose? He says that you may know how we are. So he wanted him to know what is Paul like? and how are they doing right now in their situation and tell them all about the activities why is he doing that because there's some credibility that needs to be built up see god has put this really wonderful safe uh fence you can say or um boundary to protect and keep the church safe and what is it he's put qualifications of those that are overseers and those that are leaders in the church we find them in Titus and Timothy. And we also find them in 1 Peter. This is called the qualifications of an elder or pastor. You can Google it, search it up. Go to gotquestions.com uh, for the Bible, and you'll see um, what it means to be an elder and those qualifications. It's in the scriptures. Um, obviously, there's the basics, you know, that he should desire to be uh, an elder. He should um, be someone that is well-tempered, right? Um, someone that is able to teach. Um, someone that is loving and, and, and um, can manage and, and uh, lead his own home. Um, someone that's not given to, to financial um, gain financially that's in some kind of wrong way. And so we see that there are qualifications. Now, I want to point out what 1 Peter 5, 1 through 5 talks about when, he's, when Paul here is qualifying the men that he's sending and himself, and he's um, giving. Uh, time and effort to describe them. Uh, here it goes, chapter uh, 5, verses 1 through 5, and First Peter says, To the elders among you, what are elders? Those are the ones that are in charge of overseeing the church. I appeal as a fellow elder. So Paul, Peter is saying, I'm a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's suffering, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. He says, be shepherds of God's flock. What's a shepherd? Shepherd is one that looks and protects and leads those to green pastures. And he says, that is under your care. So we're responsible for those that say we are to care for them. That's church membership saying, hey, I want you to shepherd me, watching over them and not because you must. So it's not something because you have to do. This must be a calling. It must be something that is a work of God. It says, but because you are willing and there's the willingness because God puts that call and he gives us willingness for us to do this. It's definitely one of the hardest jobs on this earth. As God wants you to be not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording over those. In other words, we shouldn't be rough and saying, you have to do this. You must do this. You do this my way or the highway type thing, but and being rough with people. 
um, over those who entrusted you. And here's the part I want to emphasize is, but being examples to the flock. So when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive a clown of glory that will never fade away. So here's some instruction that Peter gives to those that are elders. You're the qual some of the qualifications that we find. And these are the things that actually Paul is pointing out. Now, why does he talk about being an example to the flock? What's the reason for being an example to the flock? I believe it's because as sheep, all of us are sheep, we're going to follow those examples that are in our lives spiritually, our spiritual overseers, our shepherds, our elders. We're going to watch them. We're going to see them. Um, as a matter of fact, Jesus gave the command to, to make disciples. He didn't say, uh, he said, make, make disciples teaching them to obey. He didn't say teaching them theology. Yes, theology is there, which is the study of God, right? What is in God's word and what describes God. But it wasn't stopping at the information. A lot of people have information, but they don't have the obedience. He says, teaching them to obey. Now, then after that, we don't have much more of instruction of we don't have the instruction of how we're to teach them to obey and here it goes they watch Jesus they observe Jesus and then they too imitated they followed his example and that's what we find here is that Paul is describing these men and describing himself so they too would follow by example Paul says this over and over again throughout the scriptures um, well, not just Paul, but also Peter, as we just seen. But 1 Corinthians 1, 11, 1, 1 Corinthians 11, 1 says, Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Hebrews 13, 7 says, Remember your leaders, those who taught you the word of God. Consider their outcome of their life and imitate their faith. Then we have Philippians 3, 17 that says, Brother, join in imitating me. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. So we see right here from the word that God is actually telling us to imitate those that are imitating Christ. Why? Because Paul knows how vital that is. How much it would impact the church. And then the world when it comes to imitating the leaders of the church. If, they're, if they are imitating Christ. Now, how does this relate to our church culture here in America? Well, this is something that's been very heavy in my heart, um, something that I've been contemplating and talking about and dealing with for quite some time. Now, when it comes to the American church, um, I wanna be open about this. There's something that we esteem when it comes to the American church. We esteem and think a church is great because it's successful or it's growing or how well the sermons are hitting and, and, and how we can uh, we like the sermons and how well the person performs on stage um, if it relates to us, right? Um, they're, if they're funny, um, we also look at the facility, the music, as I said before. But all this could be going so well, but yet trampling over people with who the church relates to. There's a huge difference in what we see in America when something is successful because it's growing, because it's nice, because it's lit up, because it looks good, it looks shiny, because it's popular, then the relation of that church, who do they relate to? What I'm talking about is who does what 
do the church relate to when it comes to race? Now, when I bring this up, usually we will give most churches a pass because they're not overtly saying out loud that they are racist or that they are prejudiced. But compared to those we see on the media, yeah, that would make sense. People, you know, hanging signs uh, and protesting in, against a certain kind of class or people or race. But that's an extreme. So we give the church a pass. But we see racism in the church when it comes from the leaders in who they love and who they have relationship with. So who are their friends? Who is close to them? Right? Who do they who do they invite over when they have celebrations? Who do they run to whenever they're in trouble and they need encouragement or counsel? Who do they decide to team up with to plant their church? Who becomes the on the board of elders? Who comes on staff? Who's on staff with them? Right? Who is it that they hire in their businesses? And if there is not a different type of race that is alongside them, they're, they're in relationship with who they relate to, who's close, who they love, who's their friends. If that is not diverse, if it's not different than their own race, that's how there is this sort of like a passive racism that isn't spoken of because it's not just upfront and in your face. But at the same time, it does speak volumes to the rest of the church because this is the example that the leader of the church is giving. So where did they learn this from? The leaders of this church that was planted learned it from their church leaders. That example was passed down and probably from the church leaders before then. Now, that's exactly what the church is going to imitate. The church itself will imitate those same type of relationships. So check this out. If I see, if, if, if I'm a congressman, if I'm a business owner, a teacher, if I work for a nonprofit, if I'm a board on these, board member on these nonprofits, if I'm uh, a police officer, if I'm a, uh, a corporate, I work in corporate America, insurance agent, um, wherever I am, whatever area of influence, if I'm a stay home mom and I'm hanging out with other stay home moms, who am I gonna imitate? I'm gonna imitate my church leaders. Who am I gonna have a relationship with? Well, if my church leaders would only relate with the same race and the same type of people, then most likely the church is gonna do that because they're seeing that as the example. But I wanna ask, we, who, does G, who did Jesus relate to? It was other races. He, he, he went to the Gentiles. He spoke to the Samaritan woman, as I said before. Um, he laid down his life for his enemies, which was you and I, and then later called them his friend. Paul, the apostle, was raised up to be a minister to the Gentiles when he was brought up as one of the most well-taught Jews in his time. And he also one time took Peter and rebuked him publicly because Peter was eating with the Gentile believers. And then when the group of the circumcision, in other words, um, Christians that were circumcised said that others needed to be circumcised, came around, Peter acted like he didn't know 
those that were Gentile believers. In other words, causing a division. Paul rebukes him in front of everybody. And Peter has to repent of that and does repent of that. Um, and here we find Paul leading as an example of what it's like to love others that are different than himself. So for an elder or a leader or a pastor to be qualified and to be, uh, to be an example must be shown by his actions and the outcome of his relationship. As we read earlier in the scripture, it says, look at their outcome and follow that example. Now, if his action shows the opposite of the example of Paul or the example of Jesus, I believe he needs to repent publicly. And this is huge what I'm saying today. And I don't say it in any other way, um, but they may not even know it. They may never even looked at it from that way. Maybe they never even heard a sermon like this ever. I would encourage you to share this. I'd encourage you to have this conversation with others about how Jesus uh, has showed us that he loves even people that are not like himself from his own upbringing. And that his greatest command was to love God with all our heart, love our neighbor as ourselves, right? So they may not see that, but in their, if, if they're not following that example, again, they should re repent publicly and begin to build relationships and encourage and teach the church to build relationships with those that are of a different race or a different type of people than themselves. And that way they can start following that example. I believe in my heart that this is when America will begin to see a type of transformation, a type of hope in this area. I believe the gospel, this is the gospel, right? God coming from heaven, being perfect and holy and righteous, puts on a different, uh, puts on human form, right? Uh, uh, puts on our own flesh, right? This human form. And he lives amongst us and walks with us. How foreign is that? How different is that? We're not holy. He is holy. But yet he comes to live with us in relationship. And then not just that, but he gives, he lays down his life. So that way, the thing that separated us, that caused so much difference between us and him, now becomes torn down. That wall of hostility, that sin. I mean, if that's not the gospel, I don't know what is. Now, I believe that Jesus could look down the corridor of time and he could see that this was going to be a challenge, that this is going to be one of the things that's going to hurt or get in the way of the church today. And we look at John 17, where Jesus prays to the Father. So if Jesus prays about something, it's important to listen. And he prays for one thing that he mentions specifically three times he repeats this one thing this one thing is that they would be united check it out john 17 verse 1 i will remain in the world no longer and he's praying to the father but they are still in the world and i am coming to you holy father protect them by the power of your name and the name you give me so that they may be one as we are one i and them and you and me so that they may be brought to complete unity. That's the first time. And then he goes on to say, the world will know that you sent me and have loved me even as you have loved me. So here we find Jesus saying that because we're, you, I am, he is in me, I am in you, he is in me and I am in them and we keep them together, the world, it'll impact the world and they will 
know that Jesus is real because unity shows the power of God's love. The opposite is division. The opposite is being separate. The opposite is stay away. We're not close. We're not one. We're not the same. We're not united. One of the things that God hates, and he says it in, in Proverbs, seven things I hate, one of them is division. If there's one time that Paul actually asks for a believer to be removed from the rest of those that are in that church in Corinth is when there was division, right? Uh, it was causing separation. Why? Because it's opposite of the gospel. God brought us to reconcile our differences, reconcile our hurts and our pains, to forgive and to be united because why? We were reconciled to Christ. We've experienced his forgiveness. And he no longer calls us enemy, but he calls us children of God, beloved believers. I believe this will be a huge impact on the world. As a matter of fact, this preaches the gospel to every person outside the church. I don't think that's happening now, but I pray with all my heart that as we begin to teach and preach and hold to this, that other God-loving, truly in the gospel, truly believing the gospel, pastors and leaders will begin to repent of their non-relationship with someone that is not of their race and begin to love and build relationship with those that they have not and teach and show by example what that looks like. So we go back to what Paul is talking about in the final part of this letter and he's writing this out that they may see Paul as an example they may see these men that he's sending as an example to be faithful ministers so they can be encouraged why does he do that well we find it in chapter 1 of Colossians 9 to 10 it says so from the day we heard we have not ceased to pray for you asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding See, there is wisdom and understanding that only comes from God. And that wisdom and understanding is to love God with all your heart, with all your mind and all your soul, and then to love your neighbor. That's what Paul is trying to get across. That's why he talks about the diversity of who's with him, from someone that was a slave, someone that was a convicted uh, you know, Fallon, you can say, someone that was of different race, different social status, was with him and that ministry that he called beloved, um, beloved and dear to him. And verse 10, it says in, in Colossians 1, it says, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. This is what Paul's prayer was, is that the church would be the sweet aroma to God as God looks at the church and says, man, they love me with all their heart and they love one another. They don't let anything ever get in the way of loving each other. Because why? I didn't let anything, not even my own son, to get in the way of me loving them. They are getting the gospel. How is this possible? How is it possible to see a church that truly is, is embedded and, and overwound by God's love through the gospel? We find it in Colossians 2, 6-7. Here's the how. It says, Therefore, as you received Christ, Jesus the Lord, so walk in him rooted and built up in him and established in the faith 
just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. So how does this happen? Again, it's through the gospel. How do we receive Christ Jesus? That's how we're going to walk in him. That's how we're going to carry this out. We're going to carry this out by how we came to Christ. We didn't come to Christ because we are good. We didn't come to Christ because we were a type of people. We didn't come to Christ because we had certain knowledge. We didn't come to Christ because anything that we did. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that we were dead in our sins, that we were blind and that we're enemies of God. And the only way that someone can come to believe is if God had mercy and grace to give them a new heart and a new mind to believe. So therefore, the same way that we are to walk this out and walk in him and bear much fruit is to remain in that place of saying, I need you, God, to rescue me. That it's you in me, it's not me. That the gospel is that you did what I couldn't. You lived that life. You showed me by example. Then you raised men like Paul and the disciples to be an example and for us to see in scripture what it looks like to love others. So, I'm not sure if you've ever truly believed that Jesus died for you and that he gives you the ability to believe by trusting that if he died for you, he rose again, he can forgive you of your sins. That the penalty of every wrong that you've done has been paid for on the cross. If you've not believed that, I want to invite you to open your heart and to believe that today. See, that's the answer to every problem in our life. It's not that life is just going to get better all of, all of a sudden. It's not that, you know, racism is just going to go away all of a sudden. But what it's going to do is it's going to deal with the heart of racism, which is a sinful heart. Thinking that we're superior, thinking that we're better than someone else. God does the opposite. When the disciples were like, man, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? Jesus says, he that becomes the least. And then he takes his outer robe and he takes his, his towel and he begins to wash the feet of the disciples. And why does he take the time to wash the feet of the disciples? So he can show them as an example, this is what you must become. You must bow and become lower than those that are in front of you. In other words, I esteem them higher than myself, not less than myself. The only thing that makes us want to esteem people less is a sinful heart, is putting ourselves above others. And that's where we think we have the right to um, criticize, to divide, to hold unforgiveness, to despise people, to separate, to prefer others, to and not prefer certain people and I can say I'm sure all of us has done it once we become hurt we begin to do that Paul is laying it out here I want you to tell them about me and my example and what I've set before you yes I've read I've written this this letter but what's gonna help the validity of the letter and the validity of what the church should be like is the example that Christ is setting inside of those leaders that he's sending to them. I don't know where you're at with your walk with Jesus and what's going on, but I also want to invite you to allow God's Spirit to transform your lives, 
not by your strength, not by your effort, by just actually saying, I can't do this. I need you, Lord, every second, every minute of the day. And if you're a leader in the church somewhere where you know that you prefer others and don't prefer some, ask for God to give you his goodness and his love where he does not do that for you, but he actually lay down his life for you. And with that same love that he gives you, you would turn around and love others. I want to thank the church that we have, the Ville Church. I want to thank the leaders of our church. That's one thing that I want you to know is that's something that we don't want to perpetrate and to continue to uh, reinforce this division. You know, church in America on Sunday is supposed to be the most holy day. Sunday is supposed to be the most holy day. That's when most churches gather. But that day has become the most segregated day in all America. Why has it become segregated? Because we as the leaders have not really looked at what the gospel really says. That Jesus died and he died for every single one of us. And he wants us to live and give up our lives for every single person as well. So I want to thank our church because I know that many times there are things that are not according to what we prefer, the way we think church should be. Um, we may not even um, uh, agree with certain things that, that, that are different, right? But I know that a lot of us that are here at the church, and, and I would say probably most of us at the church, I hate to make big wide statements or assumptions, know that already. And that's maybe one of the reasons they're drawn to our church because we truly say come as you are and we're going to love you that way no matter who you are no matter what race you know no matter what level of education no matter uh, what level of finances no matter what we're going to love you because why god loved us no matter what so i want to encourage you church to continue following that example and for us to continue to be as one, it's so important that we stay united. It takes humility. It takes us realizing that there's someone that is different than us that can teach us. Many times we come in because we might have more experience in ministry or maybe know a little bit more theology or more Bible. But there's someone here that maybe know a little less. But we see in their actions and in their life the fruit of the Holy Spirit, right? patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, wisdom, encouragement, and they may know very little about the Bible or very little time in the Lord. So I'm not sure where that all hits you all. Um, and I'm hoping this word today was encouraging just to see that Paul took the time to describe men that were not perfect, but men that were definitely full of the Holy Spirit. And that if, you know, men can, God can save men like that, right? God can save people like uh, Peter that chopped off the ear of a of the one of the soldiers and you know denied Jesus um, if you can say someone like Paul that was actually one that went after um, the the Christians and put them to death and God can save me God can help me there's hope for me so I hope this encourages you today I hope I know this is not an easy subject easy title but it's definitely something dear in my heart and something that I've been really um, I don't know just um, contemplating for quite some time and and I'm thankful to share it with you um, if you have anyone that may want to talk about this or 
or um, you know you share with other leaders and they want to talk about it we'd love to do that we'd love to have a good conversation but god bless you church i can't wait to hang out can't wait to be together again hoping you're feeling that same kind of uh um, desires and um, I look forward to it. Love you, precious church. God bless you all. All those that are here for the first time, God loves you. Please join us. We're here to love God and love others. That's about what about, about all it comes to. God bless you all.